scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Way back and gone. Touch them all. It's Touch Them All. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying Touch Them All. It is Touch Em All on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami Makloff. I got Manny Hill on the other side of the glass of these TCL broadcast studios and live from Twins Camp in Fort Myers, Florida. You can find all his musings on the Minnesota Twins at scorenorth.com. He is our Twins reporter, Derek Wetmore. Derek, uh, I guess uh, traditionally we have to start by asking and getting jealous. How is the weather out there, my friend? It's uh, the the adjective I used to describe it today, Rami. It is swampy here swampy. in Fort Myers. I, I don't know if you're going to like hearing that in the tundra, but yeah, it's warm. It's I think it's mid 80s, sunny, humid, and today was the open house at Tamman Stadium, so a lot of bodies in here too. You know, I'm not, and Manny, I don't know about you. I've never been a big Florida guy. Like I I came here and and I I was quite open about the fact that I've been a National League guy my whole life and that's the style of play that I prefer. I'm also a a Cactus League guy over a Grapefruit League guy. I, I don't handle I don't handle humidity well, Derek. That's 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 something that I just I don't do well and it seems like it's always either too humid for me to exist or raining in the state of Florida. Those are Hey. <laughs> I am right there with you, which is why I'm asking you to send your sympathies right down this way to Southwest Florida. <laughs> well, it's it's weird for me, guys, because you know I I have asthma, so sure. Actually, the the humidity is actually really good for okay. my asthma. Right. But interesting. I'm, but I'm also I also share the same sentiment that you guys have in that it's not comfortable for me. Right. Like, humidity yeah. is just not comfortable, even though I can typically breathe better when it's when it's more humid. But I just don't like that the that thick, heavy, you know, air, and it's just, uh, it's not its not comfortable, man. It's not comfortable. I can breathe better, but it's not comfortable. It is a tough life down here in Florida. I think you guys have to give me that. Now, one thing I am definitely jealous about, Derek, is that you are, you're watching baseball today, which I, I wish I could be doing, and kind of live-action baseball at Twins Camp this afternoon, wasn't it? I was shocked. Uh, Rami, a lot of times you'll see people show up to spring training and the pitchers are here a couple of days early. Sometimes the position players get here you know, a week before they need to report just to start to start to get their work in. But today was the first day of the actual full squad workouts. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say is you typically slow cook it. You typically have your guys throwing bullpens a couple of times and then maybe on their third bullpen they get out on the mound in front of the main stadium with an L screen the hitters are there in the turtle they're just you know the little uh, mobile cage that they push up behind the plate they're you know tracking pitches maybe they're not even going to swing on sure. day one Joe Mauro was famous for that I show up here today I'm sitting in the press box and they Jose Barreos is standing out there on the main mound throwing live batting practice, no cages, no nothing, to Williams Astadio. And I'm like, okay, here we are, 2019 season. It uh, started off much more quickly than I had expected it to. And no L screen. Like, no None. batting cage around Astadio, no L screen around Barreos. It was, it, was, it was live batting practice with your best pitcher throwing to Williams Astadio. It was put the ball in play every time. Right. That's right. Yeah. As Rocco Baldelli explained it afterwards, he said, yeah, it's almost like that guy put in a full winter's worth of MVP caliber work in the Venezuelan Winter League. <laughs> yeah, it is almost like that. It was, uh, it was surprising to me to see no protection, no um, of the hitter's batting cage, and just pitcher, catcher, and hitter day one in front of uh, not a packed house, but some fans in the stands. I was surprised to see it get off to such a quick start, but it was also it was kind of fun to see in that more sort of natural setting, more natural environment. I should mention, I'm remiss in not mentioning this, uh, Thad Levine, Twins GM, is going to join us at 145 here on Touch Em All, so uh, stay tuned in here from the Twins GM. But when, when Rocco Baldelli spoke, did he explain why the live-action baseball on the, on the first full-team workout day? It's a great question. They didn't have, I mean, it's not like it was a surprise, but they basically came in, they talked to the whole team. He gave his team-wide message Mm -hmm. this morning about coming together and about um, taking some of the best of what the Twins have done historically with some of the best new ideas that they're bringing in now to create something new. And I think that this is just sort of one of those examples. This is something like, hey, all right, showtime. It's not necessarily putting guys in a bad 
spot because Boreas isn't going to plunk anybody, you hope. Um, the concern, I suppose, in the past would be liner back up the middle, and I think, honestly, I would be a little too nervous, too skittish to do that, but the Twins were not. They went out, and they wanted to simulate as real as possible as early as possible, get those guys in that environment. Um, like I sort of talked about, not being um, – Oh, fabricated is the wrong word, but not too protective like you always see in spring training. It's a slow progression. It's a buildup. Rocco said, I think it's based on his playing experience, to be honest with you. I think he he gets a sense that you don't really feel like it's real baseball until that stuff is gone. So I guess might as well rip off the Band-Aid and, and start with that real hitting environment, that real pitching environment right from the jump. Derek, you know, a lot of times when you when spring training starts, you kind of look at the guys and they're sort of trying to those first few days they're trying to get themselves sort of get they're trying to get the juices flowing, so to speak, and get back more into season mode or, or just start to get into that direction. But how do the guys look early on? Like what are your takeaways from just how guys look physically and and do they look like they're ready to go right away or does it you know look like there's still some some room for growth there i guess it it harkens back to you look before i was covering the game it was spring training was meant as training this is how you get back into shape from the off season and manny i don't think there are many guys now that recognize an off season and i think they get done playing baseball and they may take two three weeks off and then they're either throwing again or they're back hitting the weights hard uh Pretty much without exception, I will even include Rami's guy, Williams Astadio, in this. I don't see people who showed up to camp and were caught off guard by, oh gosh, all right, yeah, I gotta gotta start work, gotta get some laps in today, I gotta run my poles out in the outfield. I think guys generally come here ready to impress on day one, especially those guys that are knowing they have to earn a spot on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Kyle Gibson, you can maybe come in. And this is the luxury he has after having put in a good season last year. If he contracts E. coli late in the off season. He doesn't have to be nervous that he's got a team to make here in February. He can take it easy. He can maybe hit the weight room a little harder to add some of that weight back that he lost. He's trying to gain another 15 pounds or so, I heard. And he's able to do that instead of going out and worrying about every, you know, repetition of pitchers fielding practice right there's there's an amount of readiness that you have to come to camp with and i would say that holds true pretty much across the board from what i've seen do we know how he got e coli was it that bad romaine that was going around was it some of that unexpected uninspected meat during the no. uh, government shutdown how did how did he get e coli <laughs> actually he was doing some i believe it was some charity work in uh was he in haiti or honduras i'm i'm sorry i'm not I'm not remembering exactly where he contracted it, but it was a couple of teammates, twins, and and around the league, frankly, doing some work in the Caribbean when he believes that he contracted it and basically just lived with the illness for something like three weeks that he said he was on the shelf, and uh, shelf is the polite way of putting it, that he was uh, basically out of commission. He wasn't in the weight room. He wasn't uh, playing a whole lot of catch, and... uh, only recently, I think, started to really kick it back into gear. He missed Twins Fest with uh, with lingering problems, uh, complications stemming from that, Rami. So I, I think it's part of just his normal, every winter he goes and tries to help people. He's less fortunate than himself, certainly, and to, just happens to have uh, contracted something. And um, anyways, it's... It's going to push him back probably a little bit, but nothing too concerning that he would miss the start of the season. And like I said, Kyle Gibson having put in a good year last year, I think you can pretty much write his name in ink. Is that why Is that why he's trying to put on more weight? Did he end up losing some weight because he was sick? Or I've never had E. coli, Manny, but the rumor is it is <laughs> tough to keep on weight. And okay. I think that's the most polite way I can put it. Uh, I know the FCC is listening, so I won't say what he was going through for about three weeks. But I get the sense anyways that it was not exactly the most pleasant experience. I could use a touch of E. coli if, uh, if that's the case. But Well, careful what you wish for. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't want anything to do with it. You mentioned, and I will get to my guy, Williams Astadio, uh, before this segment is up, but you mentioned guys coming in in, in game shape and, and, and not really recognizing an offseason anymore. A guy who definitely recognized offseasons in the past but seems to have changed his ways this offseason is Miguel Sano. Came in in much better shape, but now has something else that he's dealing with that may set him back a little bit. Right, Derek? That's exactly right. He came in and by all accounts, 
really kicked it in the pants with his off-season conditioning and looks a lot better. Rocco Baldelli went down to the Dominican Republic to visit Miguel and you know said encouraging signs there. I guess Miguel took up yoga this winter and, uh, of course, with his regular training regimen, and I believe he's still working with his trainer, Fernando Did Tatis. Did I see that he was doing some football-style training? That is what I heard, too, a personal trainer who has worked with football players. I'm not really clear on the details as to whether he's uh, rushing the passer or anything like that, which would be a scary <laughs> thought, honestly. Um, Looks you more know, like a fullback to me. Uh, well, it depends on the year, but this year he's looking more like that uh, DeMarcus Ware outside no. linebacker, put your hand in the ground, rush the passer. Last year I would have said some, some sort of like nose tackle. I was going to say like an offensive <laughs> guard maybe, maybe like a left guard. Honestly, I think that uh, we we took a lot of cheap shots at Miguel last year, and he earned a lot of them, to be honest. So I guess maybe that's not the definition of a cheap shot. Well, we criticized him for his, uh, well, his weight. Let's be honest about his conditioning. And not that you have to be a physical specimen to be a baseball player. We've seen that proven out time and time again. But I think a lot of Twins fans viewed that as a leading indicator for, does this guy really care? And if you have a question about if a guy cares and then he comes to camp out of shape, it's like it's almost like feeding your narrative of clearly he doesn't care. I think if you get a look at Sano this time around, it would be tough to draw any conclusion other than the exact opposite, that this guy clearly cares. He clearly looked at last season as disappointing and wanted to go um, back to the Dominican and really just get ready for this camp in Fort Myers. Uh, unfortunately, one little setback, and we're not we're not 100% clear on the details. Rocco Baldelli's played it kind of coy the past two days, but apparently Miguel Sano has a cut on either his, it's his right heel or Achilles or the leg area, and that's that kept him out of infield drills today. I watched the main stadium infield drills, and they had the, basically the A squad out there, except at third base it was uh, Yankees cast off Ronald Torres instead of Miguel Sano. I don't think you're going to see that on opening day. But we asked, you know, after the physicals today, is Miguel ready to go? Do you expect him to see him tomorrow? And Rocco was blunt when he said, I don't know. We're going to assess him again tomorrow. So I don't know what to read into that, guys. You'd think it wouldn't be too tough to assess a cut on the back of a guy's heel, but... If they're just playing it cautious and they want to keep the injury info close to the vest, just because it's the beginning of spring training and it doesn't matter all that much for March 28th, then I think I could see that reasoning. But I guess you'd you'd much rather have it was the all positive, and instead it's all positive, but for this one sort of maybe minor thing for Miguel Sano. I think one of the things I'm looking for with him too, Derek, is... I mean, last year, I mean, you know, the, the weight jokes and the, and the, the analysis of, you know, whether or not he's in shape stuff that we did last year, you know, aside from that, I mean, when he came back after being sent down to Fort Myers last year, um, you know, he came back and I think he had, he was down, was he, was it like 20 pounds or something? He was down or something like that when he, when he came back. So it, it was like, okay, he had lost some weight, but we still saw him struggle at the plate and yeah. what I'm looking for is that approach to the plate now going forward like is that are we going to see improvement with that like is he going to go up and take pitches and foul off pitch like just have professional in bats instead of just going up there and just taking three hacks and going back to the dugout I remember 2015 Manny when he gets called up I think in June or ju- early July maybe and Rami, maybe you've picked this up about me, but Manny can definitely have my back on this. Mm -hmm. I'm always like the extra conservative, way too cautious, don't call it over until they got the final out of Game 7 guy. I am extremely cautious with that kind of stuff. And I watched a rookie Miguel Sano taking plate appearances in July and instantly become the most dangerous hitter in the Twins order. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's on track to be a Hall of Famer. That was what I thought in his first Two, three months in the show. I thought this guy is unstoppably good. How could you ever get him out? He looks like a young Miguel Cabrera in terms of how he handles plate appearances, how if a guy comes with a 1-0 fastball, he's ready to rip it over the center field wall. And if they move off the plate and try to get ahead to get him to chase, he's not budging outside of that strike zone. Drew a ton of walks, great balance. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of that guy in the last year. So, Manny, long way of answering your question. It's like, I think that's what Twins fans want to see. They want to see him back to being that guy that he was in his rookie year. And we haven't really seen it a whole lot. In fairness to him, 
Some of that is because of injury um, and well, just the conditioning that you referenced with your question. But when he got back from his minor league, it was like six weeks they sent him for a sort of holistic, um, not only weight loss and conditioning, but just like generally getting your 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 body and your game and your feel back is what they sent him out for last year. When he came back, and yeah, he looked better, but to your point, he wasn't taking those monster plate appearances like we saw a couple seasons ago, and mm-hmm. then he got hurt again. So it's a it's almost like a bit of a lost year for Sano, and just that you hate to say it, but the same thing was true of Byron Buxton. I think that the hope is this year that he's healthy from day one. He's staying with that program that has him looking so fit right now, even for a big guy. And that way, with the health in the rearview mirror, you're not worried about that anymore. Now it's just about baseball and becoming that fearful hitter again that we saw in his uh, in his debut season with the Twins. All right, let's get to the uh, the most important guy on this roster and my favorite guy on this roster, and that's Williams Astudio. <laughs> I was uh, I was reading a piece from Dan Hayes today at the Athletic about his his prospects of making the roster, and and you I read quotes from Rocco Baldelli and and some of the brain trust up there, and it seems like he has a pretty good shot at making this roster. And I, we're going to go through your twenty five man roster predictions uh, coming up in in just a little bit here on Touch Em All. But if you were going to put a percentage on it, what percent would you say you'd put on Astadio's chances of making this Twins roster this year? Oof. Because if he doesn't, I'm boycotting the 2019 yes, Minnesota yes, Twins. Yes, I know, and that's going to make the uh, Touch 'Em All show a lot harder to do. It'll be Manny and I patching things together until <laughs> Phil comes back in the studio. I hope you're ready for that, Manny. Uh, boy, it's not 100%. I got to tell you oh, that. Come on. Um, th- he's in a weird spot because I don't view him necessarily as a starting catcher. And maybe the Twins do, and I, and I don't know. But I, I just don't see him as that guy. So his value comes in backing up at catcher and in being able to play all over the diamond. I saw a photo. I think it was from uh, – Phil Miller of the Star Tribune on Twitter today with Williams taking ground balls at third base on one of the side fields, one of the maybe the minor league field over there. Um, that's interesting uh, with Miguel Sano missing a couple days early in camp. But I just think that his ability to make the team is going to be so dependent, you know, barring some superstar level spring training, it's going to be dependent on what the rest of the roster looks like. And if the Twins are taking like three or four bench guys and, and what they need there. Absolutely, I could see him filling one of those spots as a guy with a ton of uh, flexibility defensively and who can put the bat on the ball. He's he's going to have to acquit himself well this spring, but I think so far what we've seen from him uh, last year and then this offseason has been nothing, nothing but good signs from Williams, and he's got a real shot to make the 25 on opening day. To me, the fact that, like you said, he's probably not a starting catcher at this stage in his career, but to me, the the fact that he's sort of this jack-of-all-trades, master of none, that fits perfectly. I mean, if they're going to do things similarly to how it was done in Tampa Bay, which we assume it is because that's that's where Rocco Baldelli came from, it seems to me that's a guy who would fit perfectly into what Rocco Baldelli is trying to do because... When, when you have a guy like that who you can move all over the field, it opens up so many possibilities in terms of the other moving pieces on this roster and in that lineup on a day-to-day basis. Isn't he the perfect guy for for these this, this new-look Twins organization that, that we, we expect to see? Yes, but he's also got minor league options, and they love their flexibility. I, I'm working on a 25-man roster projection, Rami, which I, I know we can get to later, but mm-hmm. one of the tough things is... Are you going to take the seven best relievers, eight best relievers, or are they going to take their like their four horses and then a bunch of guys with minor league options so they can cycle up and down? You know what I mean? That's a tough thing to read, and no one's going to flat out tell you how it's going to go. So kind of just throwing darts at, at some point. I think that same thing with uh, position players. If Astadio was a wizard with the glove, I mean, he would be a starter in the big leagues. He wouldn't have to worry about uh, the 25th spot on the Minnesota Twins roster. Unfortunately for him, I view him as like a decent, solid catcher, and he can stand in other positions. He's he's not really going to provide you surplus value as a second baseman standing there in the middle of the field. But the fact that he can do all of those extra things makes him a great guy to have at the end of the bench. I just don't know. He's not he's not Ben Zobrist, where he could go in and play second base, shortstop, third base, any outfield spot, 
first if you need him, and if you really, really were tight on it, maybe he could put on the gear and catch. I don't see Astadio as that. It's more like a hitter who plays catcher who can also stand at other spots with a glove on his hand. I will tell Thad Levine when he joins us, I'm boycotting <laughs> this baseball team if he doesn't make the roster. I will tell him that. With- have you spoken with Thad before? Will no. that be your first? Okay, that'll that's be my be first a, time. A that's gonna be my that's gonna be my introduction to Thad Levine is threatening <laughs> him a boycott if Williams Astadio doesn't make the roster. And I think he's gonna have to take it seriously, given how much we've talking about this guy for sort of a fringe roster player. He'll go back and look at the episodes of Touch Them All and say, "Oh boy, this guy's name is in just about every headline." Derek, what's your best guess though on like how good of a spring? Williams Astadio needs to have in order to make the roster? Is this like just really good with the bat, or does he need to have more of a complete body of work for this entire uh, spring? I think two years ago, though, when Byung-Ho Park had the best spring in camp, he was their spring training MVP, and they took him off the roster. They, they sent him to Rochester and mm-hmm. said, thank you, great spring. We'll see you if we need another uh, corner bat that can hit. That was a bit of an eye-opener to how Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are going to handle their roster. I don't even... It sounds weird to say, so maybe have the hot take police ready for this one, but <laughs> honestly, I don't even know how much it depends on Williams Astadio in spring. It's He has to acquit himself well. A good spring batting line would be great for him in terms of making the roster, and showing off some positional flexibility can't hurt. But I think that there's an element to this that has more to do with other players and what the rest of the roster looks like than it does actually do we think Astadio can hit big league pitching. He kind of showed you last year that he can do mm-hmm. that. So a good spring will help him. It won't hurt him, obviously. But I, I don't know that a great spring would even necessarily cinch it. That's Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter here at Score North. Find his musings on the Twins at scorenorth.com. That's S-K-O-R North.com. His latest work, what a Jose Barreos contract extension might look like. That's up at scorenorth.com. Thad Levine, Twins GM, is going to join us at about 145, if not sooner. So so stay tuned and tell a friend that Thad Levine, the Twins GM, is about to join us on Score North here on uh, on 1500 and at scorenorth.com. Coming soon to scorenorth.com, Derek's 25-man roster prediction. He'll give us a little taste of that when we return right after this. Phil Mackey here from the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. We've made it easier than ever to find our team-centric Minnesota sports podcast. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, just search Score North, that's S-K-O-R, and you'll find Score North Vikings, for instance, which includes Purple Daily, Purple Podcast, and Vikings Ventline. Score North Wolves includes Raised by Wolves, Myron Medcalf on Hoops, and more. Score North Twins includes Touch Em All, Royce on Baseball, and more, and so on. Just search Score North, S-K-O-R, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Hot takes, North Cool. Scorenorth.com. It's Touch 'em All on Score North on 1500 and at scorenorth.com. And uh, if you're looking for twins programming, just search at scorenorth.com on the Score North app or wherever you download podcasts. Search Score North Twins. You'll find this show. And uh, you have Roycey on baseball. And there's a, an announcement coming soon about an addition to our twins programming lineup that we're very excited about. So stay tuned for that. I'm Rami Makloff, Manny Hill, alongside Derek Wetmore from uh, Twins Camp in Fort Myers, Florida, and Thad Levine. Twins GM will be joining us uh, shortly from uh, that very same site. You can find Derek's work at scorenorth.com. Like I said, article just went up about what a Jose Barreos contract extension might look like. And coming soon to the uh, column at scorenorth.com is your 25-man, or excuse me, yeah, yeah your 25-man yeah. roster prediction, Derek. Let's let's start with where where there are actually questions, because obviously some things when it comes to this Twins team and teams across baseball are are sort of predetermined, and we know who's going to make the team. We know who's going to start at certain positions. Where would you say the question marks remain as far as this 25-man roster goes for the Twins? The bullpen's a really tricky one for me to piece together, and it always is. I mean, mm-hmm. that's always kind of a challenge for a team that's not a uh, World Series defending club. But I think especially this year, I don't know what it is about it. As Ryan Presley being gone, you could always sort of pencil him in. They haven't anointed a closer like they always kind of seem to do by Christmas. So that that group to me, Rami, is the toughest. And there's you know, 10, 12, 15 names that we could throw out and talk about 
and have interesting conversations about them in terms of their prospects of making the opening day roster. But that's that's the most wide open. I'm still looking at catcher, too, and saying, how's the playing time going to split out there? What are they going to do with your boy, Willie Astadio? What uh, what happens at first base? They claim C.J. Crone off waivers, but they've also got Tyler Austin, who's out of options, and they brought in Lucas Duda on a minor league deal. He's um, intriguing I'm, to me. Duda yeah, is intriguing to me. That's and a I guy heard you and Phil talk about him. He's not too far removed from some real success at the major league level. This is a guy who was traded for at the trade deadline just a couple seasons ago because a team thought he could help them make a push to the postseason and beyond and has a a pretty lengthy track record of success at the major league level. So there's obviously something there and guys do age and production does drop off. But Mm -hmm. like I said, he's not too far removed from major league success. And if you can platoon him with C.J. Crone, you might have, between the two of them, an 800 OPS guy and, and 30 to 40 home runs from first base. And it is fascinating how many of these boomer bust guys they have on this roster. Right. He'd be one of them. If I told you he'd hit 30 home runs this season, I, th- I think he'd be a little surprised. But if I said 22, you might not blink. You might say, okay, yeah, he's a part-time guy with some pop. Mm-hmm. Um, I could flip Tyler Austin's name in that mix, C.J. Crone. Um, Nelson Cruz, I wouldn't call a boomer bust guy because he's just been an, an elite all-around hitter for the past decade. Right. But um, a lot of players like that. I'll even throw Jonathan Scope, slightly different type of hitter, of course, but a guy who put up a season in 2017 that garnered MVP votes and then not so much last year. You got to see some of that up close and personal in Milwaukee. Uh, 2018 did not go his way, but I don't think you'd... you'd uh, like really fight me if I said, "Hey, I'm from the future. I cover the Twins, and Jonathan Scope's going to the American League All Star Game in July." I think you'd be like, "Okay, yeah, that that adds up." And why did you come back from the future to tell me that exactly? Uh, I'd be a little more worried about the <laughs> yeah, mechanisms. Aren't there more important things that you can yeah. tell against from the future, Derek? <laughs> there, there, if there's nothing more important than that, then the next few months have gone well, I'd say, for the Twins. <laughs> But, you know, there's just like, there's so many guys that have this sort of ceiling, and we haven't even started talking about Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, the recently extended Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler. So there's just tons of interesting names on this roster that if they reach their peak potential, whoa. But also, the floor down there could be way, way down there for some of these guys. I mean, that's what that's the value of a minor league deal to a big league club at this point in the spring. But there's just... I, I don't know. You you ask where it's unsettled, and to me, the bullpen is one that I kind of tilt my head to the side and say, okay, how are they going to configure this? And then catcher in first base. Pretty much everything else, you think you have an idea of which way they're going to go. So who are the guys who you see nabbing those those last few spots in the bullpen that are still in question or up for grabs? Great, great question, and I'm not quite ready to go, you know, finalized with it. But you know, some Let's of the call names this a rough that- draft. Yeah, okay, so in pencil, I'm starting with, and I've said this before, Taylor Rogers would be a fun closer candidate. Um, Rocco Baldelli talked to, sorry, not to get off track here, but Rocco Baldelli did talk about closers and their usage in, in 2019 and how it's going to shape out for the Twins. His answer was to not give an answer. He said, I'm not trying to, you know, he's not trying to play coy necessarily, but they don't have it written in ink who's going to fill up their bullpen. They just know, okay, we're going to have some guys pitch the really important sort of high leverage innings typically at the end of ball games, and that might be 7, 8, 9. But I can tell you this, I don't think they're going to have a 7th inning guy and an 8th inning guy and a closer in the traditional sense. I think they're going to go in at night and say, okay, these five relievers are healthy and ready to go. Depending on the game situation, here's what we'll use here. Maybe you've got a string of lefties in the middle of the order coming up. You know, one-run game in the eighth inning. Looks like a pretty good spot for Taylor Rogers to me, even if he's a quote-unquote ninth-inning guy. Um, Blake Parker might get some of those late innings. Um, Trevor May, Fernando Romero. I think those four guys will sort of be in that mix. After that, that's where the guesswork starts. And I'm not trying to dodge your question, but we could honestly talk all day about Addison Reed, Trevor Hildenberger, maybe Tyler Duffy's in that mix. Jake Reed is a non-roster invite. Matt McGill had a pretty good season last year. Um, 
and I'm just sort of off the top of my head here spitting out relievers who I think could or will make the Twins opening day roster. It's it's really tough to pin it down, and the, the Twins aren't necessarily making that any easier in camp. But I think that's a pretty good spot to be if you're Minnesota. Derek, how much stock do you put in, to, to sort of piggyback off of the bullpen talk here, how much, how much stock do you put in, because sometimes you hear about relievers needing to have like they need to know what their specific role is in a bullpen in order to in order to to feel great in order to be as effective as possible but i mean you just mentioned about how you know Rocco didn't really give a definitive answer on who is going to be the bona fide seventh inning guy and who's going to be the closer and that sort of thing how much stock though do you put into a guy needing to know exactly what his role is in that bullpen, or is that sort of overblown? No, I, I'm with you. I think one of the things about analytics, and, I, and I've been following that for a, n- a number of years, not like an OG analytics nerd or anything like that, but <laughs> but I know a few, and I'm sitting here thinking like, one of the things that the, if you want to call it the analytic movement in baseball, missed is that people aren't robots. And and everybody knows that, and it's cliche. You can't just say that and that's your take. But one of the things that I believed for a long time was that you should just play the matchups, put people in the best spot to succeed, and if there's a string of lefties coming up in the sixth inning with the game on the line, then maybe Taylor Rogers should pitch there, even if he's your best reliever. Or, you know, um, Blake Parker should be getting the righties in this spot. It's something I've really changed my tune on, and I think Rocco Baldelli is more on that side of the fence, Manny, where he knows that it's important for these guys. Even if you can look at the analytics and say, this is the best matchup, we this is the highest leverage inning, likely, and we need to get our best pitcher facing their best hitters in this spot with the game on the line. The counterpoint to that, and this is where I think Rocco's head is at based on his uh, press answers today, is... Yeah, no, That's there's going to be room for matchups, and we should play matchups to the best of our ability when it makes sense. But these guys are humans and do enjoy and appreciate that sort of the, the sort of assuredness of when you're going to come into a game, which hitters you should be preparing for, and should I chug my Red Bull in the third inning or in the fifth inning to try to get ready for the game tonight. Every guy is going to be a little bit different, and I get all of that. But the Twins are going to try to have some sort of structure in place. They're not just going to go in and say, all right, these are our eight guys not starting the game today. Be ready to come in at the drop of a hat. That's something I would have thought five years ago was a possibility. And the more the more relievers and pitchers you talk to and coaches and people that work with them, it's just not really a realistic thing. you got to put some constraint on it. I think the Twins will do that pretty early on. Along those lines, though, Fernando Romero, we found out, will not be used as a traditional starter. How did Rocco Baldelli say he's going to use Romero? Fernando Romero is going to be a, quote, weapon, to uh, quote the rookie manager for the Twins. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, guys. I think... <laughs> I mean, Rami, you covered the NLCS run for the Brewers yeah. last year and kind of saw some of this stuff up in cl- up close and personal, so i got to pick your brain on this. Like, Josh Hader was the guy that everybody knew. But, of course, in Milwaukee, also know Jeremy Jeffress, you know, Corey Kniebel. These guys are important to building that bridge to the end of the game as well. Um I think Fernando Romero will be in one of those roles. Was there was there any solidity for what those guys were doing? Maybe let's not even focus on October. Just go through the season. Did those guys sort of have a defined role as the year played out? Uh, Corey Knebel started the season off as the closer, quote unquote. So the guy sure. who they would bring in in save situations in the ninth inning. Occasionally, but rarely because of the other arms that they had, he would come in to close out the eighth and then finish the ninth. When Knebel went down with with the injury that cost him about a month and a half early last season, I think it was an ankle injury if I'm not mistaken. My memory is hazy on that right now. But he was out for quite a while, and you saw other guys step up, namely Jeremy Jeffress was the guy who they used more times than not to close out games during that stretch. But he wasn't the only one, and they were already, Derek, starting to move towards not having guys have necessarily set traditional roles in, in the sense that there weren't 
innings that they were going to come in and work on a consistent basis. But you could sort of tell based on game situation and when guys had been used recently who was going to come in in a certain situation. If you if you had a close game and the heart of the opposing team's lineup was coming up and you needed two good innings to to hold on to a slim lead against the best hitters that the opposing team is going to throw at you, that was going to be Josh Hader. If it was seventh inning or later and and you needed to get outs like that, more times than not, that was going to be Jeffress or Knable, and they had a lot of other good arms besides those three in that mm-hmm. bullpen who, who they would use to sort of bridge the gap between those three guys. But like I said, Derek, you didn't have – an, a, a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, and a ninth inning guy. It was more about game situations and and their recent use. Sure, that, freshness. That, exactly. That that would determine when these guys would be brought into a game. Yeah, I think the same thing is going to play out with the Twins this year. In fact, I mean, I don't know this, but the Brewers look like a pretty interesting blueprint in terms of how you build a pitching stat. We used to talk for years, and and this was when 25-man roster projections were just easier. These are the five guys that are going to open in the rotation. These are the seven guys that are going to open in the bullpen. This is the seventh-inning guy. This is the lefty, blah, 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 blah. Now I think it's, who are our 12 best pitchers, and how can we use them most effectively and do we need all those roster spots to go to pitching in the first two weeks of the season? Because they'll definitely be able to skip a fifth starter if they want to until about the middle of April. So do you get a couple of weeks of an extra bench guy or an extra reliever to use in certain spots? I don't know how they're going to play this out, and this is just my, um, I would say, uneducated guess at this point. But there are four arms that I look at and say, these are late-inning options for the Twins. That would be Blake Parker, Taylor Rogers. I throw Trevor May in that mix, and now, based on what Rocco Baldelli said the other day, Fernando Romero is going to be one of those guys as well. Just like the Brewers last year, as Rami was explaining, I think there's going to be matchups dictated. I think freshness will dictate it. Um, They'd like to have an idea, though, to Manny's question earlier. It sounds like Rocco would like to have an idea of some sort of roles, even if they're not as strictly defined as we maybe grew up used to in Major League bullpens. They are going to have sort of the... Uh, uh, close and late group, and I think it's that quartet that I just mentioned now. What about the concept of the opener? We saw the Twins use that last year quite a bit, and with Rocco coming over from uh, from Tampa Bay, we saw the Rays use that quite a bit last year as well. How much of that do you think that's? How much of that do you think it will be be a factor this year? Fascinating question, and I think we should ask Thad Levine when he comes. Uh, I know it's largely going to be, you know, Rocco Baldelli, but the way I understand it, they're making so many of these decisions in concert with each other that, yes, the front office will, you know, I bleed in sounds wrong, but like they they will be integrated fully from the way one person explained it to me: front office, coaching staff, field staff. Um, research and development, people behind the scenes, advanced scouting, video guys, people that are doing all this work to prepare for the opponent. I think all of those those departments sort of come together to make a decision like that. Early on, though, guys, I don't see the need for it because I do think that they have at least four starters that you, you should count on for mm-hmm. a number of innings in April. Um, and that would be, just to go through it quickly, it would be Barrios, Gibson, Odorizzi, I think Michael Pineda will start the season in the rotation. And then you've got an interesting group, Edoberto Mejia or Martin Perez, um, Cole Stewart, Zach Littell. You can go on down that list if you want to. I don't think they need an opener like Tampa sort of needed an opener after they traded Odorizzi last year. But I wouldn't. I'll tell you this. They absolutely won't be scared to use it. I'd be shocked if we don't see it in 2019. I just don't think you're going to see it uh, right out of the gate to start the season. And we will ask Thad Levine about that and much, much more, including will Williams ask to Dio make this team or will I boycott the 2019 Minnesota Twins? The Twins GM is set to join Touch Em All right after a short break here on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. Sports talk that leans north. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com.
It's Touch of All on Score North on 1500scorenorth.com. Find all our Twins programming wherever you download podcasts. Just search Score North Twins and an exciting announcement of an addition to our Twins lineup coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. I'm Rami Makloff, Manny Hill back here in the TCL broadcast studios. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter. He's live at Twins Camp in Fort Myers, Florida. And now sitting alongside Twins GM Thad Levine, who joins us on Touch of All. Thad, thanks for a few minutes. How are you doing this afternoon? doing great thank you very much for having me on uh let's let's get right to the 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 question that is at the top of my mind thad and by the way it's good to to meet you in this way this is the first time i've had a chance to speak to you but what's top of mind to me and i think for a lot of twins fans is williams asked to deal and thad i have announced my intentions to boycott the 2019 minnesota twins if williams Astadino does not make the roster so will williams Astadino make the 2019 twins roster you know, it's funny, we actually had a call-in from Mother Astadio earlier who had declaring the same. So you and Mother <laughs> Mother Astadio are both on the same page. Uh, you know, great news, he's in camp. Uh, all joking aside, one of the challenges we face in baseball right now, which probably fans aren't really in tune with, is just with some of the civil strife in Venezuela, some of the players from Venezuela have a little bit of a more sure. challenged time getting passports and visas and whatnot, and so... Last year, actually, Williams had a, a real difficult time getting out of Venezuela. This year, uh, some challenges, but Amanda Daly and some people in our office did a tremendous job of getting him out. So the g- great news is he's in camp, he's competing, and I, I think he was one of the, the great stories of the second half of last year. You know, a lot was made of the trades we made, which certainly were significant, but guys like Astadio came up and I think showed how dynamic they could be on the field and really seized the opportunity that was presented to him. I think he was goes from being a little bit of an unknown in camp last year to a guy who's probably here to here to make a team and seize a spot. I love that Rami's coming in hot with the first <laughs> I'm going to boycott your team question. Oh, and nice to meet you. Uh, I, there, another guy I'm looking at, Thad, is I'm, I'm here in Fort Myers and kind of just trying to get a lay of the land is Miguel Sano, who I, I understand an off-season workout and conditioning and has tried to put himself in a great spot. Um, f- first, I'll ask you the broad question of, How's Sano looking, and given his winter and everything, but also looking for an update on the uh, cut that he apparently sustained this offseason. Yeah, so I, I think when you, look at, when you look at Miguel, you see a, a number of players fall into this category probably, which is went through the minor leagues by and large unencumbered. He was, he was very successful as a prospect, rapidly arise into the big leagues, and then had real success in the major leagues and had significant adversity last year. So it started with the injury. It started with what was a pretty meaningful surgery and then an off-season where he was uh, derailed from his normal program. Uh, He comes into camp last year probably a little bit uh, not in the shape he normally was in from a baseball perspective, and it shows. And he gets off to a bit of a slow start, and then I think the rest of the season we know what transpired. Uh, so he was knocked down on the mat. And the question, you know, is we're not all defined by the knockdown. We're, we're defined by how, how we get off the mat. And I think what he did this offseason deserves a ton of credit. Uh, you know, between Tony Leo and our medical staff, Ian Kadish and our strength and conditioning staff, and, and our coaching staff, we gave him a very strict program to follow. Uh, in, involved in that was changing his nutrition and his habits. Uh, involved in that was working out in a different way than he had in years past. He embraced it. Uh, so... You know, I would judge. I would use the judgment of people who've been around him longer than I have, who say that he's in the best shape that they've seen since 2015. Hmm. I can say that I, you know, we saw videos that he would send to us and pictures of how he was doing this offseason. He looked great. I actually saw him down in the Dominican where we were about three weeks ago for a scouting summit. Uh, within limits, I, I took as much liberals as I could in giving him a hug and touching as many muscle groups as I possibly could in that hug. Uh, he felt great. <laughs> he felt great. And uh, oh, good. And he walks into camp, I think, looking looking the part. Uh, now, sure. the, the the last part of your question is also something you know, just like kind of the vagaries of of the game. Uh, an injury sustained, I think, uh, post celebration of the of the winning the the championship down in winter ball he has a laceration on his right heel and it's just an area that's tough to heal uh because it it kind of skins thin and every time you move it kind of stretches it so Mm -hmm. we're going to probably be a little bit conservative on the front end of camp to try to get him 100 percent and get that wound healed but once we do i think we're seeing this guy is hitting the ground literally running fat i was telling derek this uh, a couple of breaks ago about um just sort of the, the level of intrigue that personally i have for for this for this season and it's it's 
in terms of intrigue and curiosity about how things are going to look, this is probably the most I've had for this team in, in quite a long time. Um, but where are you guys at with this, with, with the change in manager and, you know, bringing in Nelson Cruz and, and just sort of uh, wondering how, you know, if, if Miguel and, and Byron are going to take that next step as, as players, where, where's the level of intrigue for, for like you and Derek, for example, just on, you know, going into this 2019 season? First of all, I would say your buttering was a little bit better than the nice to meet you and then yeah. I'm going to this season. Uh, if I'm rating the buttering, you, you're, a, you're, you're more than a neck ahead. That's right what now. I'm here for. That's yeah. what I'm well, here for. Well buttered. Well buttered. Um, I, I would, I would, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, I, I can't say here it was like a, a a real strategy that we had hatched. But the reality is we have a lot of variability in our players' performance. You know, I think front office people are getting so much more adept at understanding the projections of how players are going to perform, and uh, those projections are so much more sophisticated. And fans can certainly look on sites like Baseball Reference and Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus and, and look at some of those projections. Each team is now doing their own. But the reality is, regardless of who's doing it, if you look at guys like Sano and Buxton, the floors are really low, the ceilings are very high. And I think we're playing a little bit on that with that as one of our strategic elements of how we can catch Cleveland. So if you marry up uh, Buxton and Snow and what they're capable of doing and what they have done as recently as 2017 uh, with what Jonathan Scope did in, in 2017, unfortunately has a little bit of a setback due to injury in 2018. Michael Pineda doesn't pitch at all in 2018, but if he returns to 2016-17 form, I think we feel as if his floor could be low, but his ceiling also could be really high. And then the last guy in that group would be Martin Perez. Uh, coming off a 200-inning pitch season, has a substandard 2018. If we can recapture not even really the true upside potential of that quintet, but even if it's just what they were doing not, as recently as 2016-17, you know, I think we, th- we think we could really make up the gap pretty significantly in Cleveland. So for those reasons, I'm really excited to see us play. Uh, and then the last component of it is you know, just a change in the culture and in the environment in the clubhouse led by Rocco Baldelli right now gives us a lot of enthusiasm. Now, it's hard to prognosticate what kind of impact that will be on the field, but I can just say so far it seems as if the guys are really responding well to him, and I'm hopeful that that really translates into a few extra wins in 2019 and beyond. Talking with uh, Twins GM Thad Levine here on Touch Em All on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. And when you talk about the emergence of analytics and, and these algorithms that, that every team has now, and not only changes the way that you evaluate players, Thad, but it changes strategy and the way the game is played, and you guys go out and get Rocco Baldelli this offseason as your manager, and he comes from Tampa Bay where they obviously aren't scared to, to try some new things in this new age of baseball how different a style of game should twins fans expect from from the twins this year based on all that well i, I agree with the first half of your statement that I, I do think rocco comes from an organization that probably all things being equal was the most progressive of any of any franchise in terms of maximizing every ounce of their 25-man roster to win games at the big league level now to be fair i do think as, as we saw the season progress last year specifically the second half we did use some openers. We were pretty aggressive in terms of shifting. We did get pretty creative in our lineup construction. So I don't know that it's, it's a sense where we're going from zero to 60 per se. If, if Tampa was on the upper end of being progressive, I think we were probably at least middle of the pack. So in terms of the fans' involvement with the product, I don't think it will be that dramatically different. I just think where we were doing it maybe on the margins and, and trying it in, in different spaces, I think we may just try it a little bit more extensively. Last year, what we did with Jeremy Zoll as our farm director is we were wear testing a lot of that stuff throughout our minor leagues, high A, double A, and triple A. Uh, and it was when we felt as if we had a critical mass of data to be able to present to our major league coaching staff. That's when we started implementing it at the big league level because that's when I think we were able to present kind of compelling information where it could be effective. Uh, rather than just taking necessarily Tampa as an example, we, we tried to do it ourselves. And so I think now that we've got that stuff under our belt and we saw some success at the major league level, admittedly also some some steps backwards at the major league level, you know, as the nature is when you're wear testing thing, I think we feel a lot more confident walking into the season. Now we also 
couple that with having a, a guy at the helm who I think is very adept at it, and it's quite quite frankly that was the norm for them. That mm-hmm. was not, nothing out of the ordinary for them. So I, I think that combination will leave us doing it more often and more frequently. But I don't think our fans will see anything that they didn't see at least in some way, shape, or form in 2018. Sure, that we're kind of tight on time here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Jonathan Scope. He's such a fascinating figure to me because he's non-tendered in Milwaukee, but not for reasons that you might ordinarily associate with non-tender guys. Uh, you guys are pretty confident that he's going to have a back uh, bounce-back season. Why is that, that we should expect to see a, a better version of Jonathan Scope? So I think a lot is made on the analytics on the pitching side, and I think he represents that on the offensive side. So we had our best offensive evaluators, whether that were scouts or guys in our analytics department, evaluate a swing and say, try as best you can to tell us how much did his oblique injury impact what we saw in 2018. Or should we reasonably expect that he could perform more like he did in 2016 and 17? So their assessment was that the oblique had a meaningful impact. Now you kind of like add on to that the fact that he's 27 years old, right in his prime, mm-hmm. right in the sweet spot uh, with the rest of our core players. And I think we thought he was the perfect fit for us. It was a very congested second base market. There were some tremendous free agent options out there. For a guy, for us to get a guy who was 27 matched up with our core and age, also a guy that we felt was a year removed from being an elite performer in the major leagues, it was a chance that we were really dying to take. Thad, about uh, Jason Castro, the catcher you guys are, are going to have back now, where, where are you guys at with him? How is he, how is he feeling after uh, missing most of last season with the, with the knee situation? Where are you guys at with him? By the way, just uh, just dovetail this, but Mother Estadio still thinks she, he's the frontline catcher. But nice. I, will, I will still address that. <laughs> Confidence. I, I like it. I, I still answer the question. So I, I think a lot, we, we, we may have missed a lot in terms of not recognizing the impact that that injury had on our 2018 team. Uh, you know, certainly Jason's hitting towards the bottom of the order, but what he did on the field, what he did preparation-wise with our pitching staff, I... I don't think we can underestimate the impact it had on, on our 2018 team. So the fact that he's back healthy, full go, uh, I actually just came up from our training room where Tony Leo said one of the most noteworthy things is that Jason Castro is not even on the injury list, oh. um, You know, which he kind of expected he would be to start the season. I mean, start the spring training is that we would just be monitoring. He said, I don't even have anything to write down about him right now. So that's exceptionally encouraging. I, I think the knee clearly impacted his defense. It clearly impacted his offense. To have him back and full go. Now, what full go will mean? Is, is totally up to Rocco. You know, we do have Willens asked a deal. We do have Mitch Garver in the mix. We have a chance to get really creative behind the plate. I think keep all three of those guys fresh. All three can play other positions. So I, I think Rocco will really get creative at that position. But having kind of our pitching coach on the field, back on the field, I think is pretty significant. That's Thad Levine, Twins GM, and our guest for the last few minutes here on Touch Em All. Thad, you've, you've won me over. I will not boycott the 2019 Minnesota <laughs> Twins, regardless of what happens with Astadio. Wow. Well, far too kind. You're back in the picture now. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thad. We appreciate it. And if you uh, missed any of that interview, check it out at scorenorth.com on the Score North app or wherever you download podcasts. Just search Score North Twins for the latest edition of Touch Em All. That's Derek Wetmore live from Twins Camp in Fort Myers, Florida. Manny Hill on the other side of the glass. I'm Rami Makhlouf saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time on Touch Em All.